Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us? Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come. When what you're called will not matter, and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, Come, see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. So tonight we're beginning a series called Unexpected Encounters. The beauty, the mess, the hope. And... To go there, I wanted to bring you along on part of my journey 
and I want to look at why I didn't want a church plant, my friend Ben, and the art of leaning. So I want to start off with kind of explaining why I didn't want a church plant. It's not a hidden fact, if you've heard my story before, that I was resistant to church planning at all costs. I had taken a course on it in seminary. I didn't want it. I wanted security. So the first thing was fear. I was afraid of church planning. Uh, I, I wanted the three B's, I called it. I wanted a building, a budget, and butts. And church planning doesn't come with those things. So I'm like, there's no way that I am going to start something from scratch. And especially having people in seats. When you're called to an established church, people actually want you to come. When you go into a community, the church plant, you're hoping people will accept you. But I've come to a deeper realization of why I didn't want a church plan. And it's hard to share because it's painful. As I've sat with this question for a while of why I didn't want to, I knew there had to be something more than just the fear. And what's painful to admit is that the reason I didn't want to church plant is because of Christians. People who I've encountered within the church who are so focused on their own comfort. People who I've encountered within the church who are so focused on being right. People who I've encountered within the church who have forgotten the humanness in the other person. And the people who don't believe the same things they do or think the same way or behave the same way. And this stings and it's painful to realize because when I say Christians, this includes myself. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm guilty of everything I just mentioned. In other words... I think I realized the reason I didn't want a church plant is because I knew myself. I know who I am, and I'm not perfect. I'm not always the nicest person or the most laid-back, easygoing person that I try and portray, especially if you're driving along White Church Road or 56 Highway. But I heard recently someone say that we're not supposed to be models of perfection. We're here to be models of transformation. And what I've come to discover is that in my process of sharing this good news that we have, sharing the hope that we have in Jesus, is that I've actually forgotten the humanness in my Christian brothers and sisters. I've been so focused on reaching people who don't know Jesus that I've attacked people who've brought me up to know and love him. But what I've discovered is that the good news is good news for everyone. And what I love about this story of the woman at the well and where in fact our church name comes from because we just couldn't shake the imagery in this story is that Jesus is reclaiming her humanity. So I want to dig into the story that we just listened to and read from John 4. Because here you have G Jesus, who's a Jewish man, sitting at the edge of a well in Samaria. When a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from her well. And I can only imagine what she must be thinking as she's approaching her well and seeing this man of another nationality sitting there. 
What, what did she feel? What was she thinking? Was she confused? Was she afraid? Traditionally, Jewish men weren't even supposed to talk in public to women, let alone Samaritan women. And the rivalry happening between the Jews and Samaritans goes back years. And there's actually religious rivalry, religious animosity. Because you see, the Samaritans actually rejected the writings in the Old Testament of the prophets and the wisdom literature. They only relied on the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. So for them, their place of worship was at a mountain, Mount Gerizim. But the Jewish scriptures included the wisdom literature, included the prophets, and it, it followed Judea and David's line placing them in Jerusalem. So that's why in this story they talk about these two places of worship because there's rivalry going on there. There's deep-seated religious tensions. But as we'll see soon, Jesus is revolutionizing her world. So I just want to back up a bit and I want to look at the woman. Because you see, the way I've always read this story, heard this story, the way it was actually somewhat read uh, as we listened to it, is we automatically put blame on the woman. We label her as morally loose because Jesus reveals in verse 18 that she's had five husbands and the man she's with now is she isn't even married to. But what if we've judged her prematurely? There's no evidence in the, the Greco-Roman world that women visited wells at certain times a day. And one of the theories I heard for this woman coming to the well at noon is because that was the hot part of the day and not when many other women were there and she was socially outcast. But if you look at the end of the story, when she goes off to tell everyone in her village, that doesn't really line up because if she's socially outcast, why is she running back to tell everyone? Why would they even listen to her? What if we've judged her prematurely and maybe just judged her simply because of her marital past? And for us, in our culture nowadays, that's easy to do. To, to say, okay, well, what, what's going on? But in the Greco-Roman world again, what if she was widowed? What if the five previous husbands had died and she was out seeking survival, out seeking protection? She could have been divorced, but possibly for not providing her husband with a male child, leaving us with a used and abused, thrown away girl. Because again, it's easy to forget the society that she was living in was patriarchal. The man had to leave the wife. She wasn't leaving all of these husbands. In fact, we have a handful of ancient literature, and only one of them indicates that a woman filed for divorce. But it had to be substantiated by men. So she's not going around, going from one guy to the next, which we automatically assume and read in this story. She could just be seeking survival, seeking protection. But regardless, there's been so much speculation around this. Here's what I think comes to the forefront when we set some of those things aside. Jesus isn't getting caught up in the secondary details. 
He's reclaiming her humanity. Because you see, Jesus isn't rebuking her. And in fact, unlike the other stories we read in Scripture where he says, go and sin no more, he doesn't even use that line with her. He reclaims the Samaritan woman's humanity. And this is huge. He speaks to her as a person. He doesn't get sidetracked with the details of her past. But he speaks to her in her humanness. As Jesus speaks to to her and reclaims who she is, he also explains who he is. And he recognizes her need as she's there to draw water. And he's tying this this illustration in to say, look, this water, you're just going to keep getting thirsty again, but I can offer you a water that won't run dry. Her need of living, life-giving, flowing water, which Jesus alone can provide. But what is this water? It's life. It's life to the fullest. It's freedom. It's a release from her past. It's a release from her religious requirements. The water that Jesus is offering is forgiveness. It's the refreshing life that's found in him. And it's not worship that's tied to holy places, but it's worship that's been impacted by an encounter with the holy person. A person who through his life, death, and resurrection ushered in a new era in which the Holy Spirit changes everything. It's no longer about religion. It's about relationship with Jesus. It's about presence. It's about reclaiming the humanity in the other person. So I want to give you four reasons why not to join our church plan. Now, that might seem a bit odd since we're just getting started and we're hoping that people will feel drawn to join us, but this is unexpected encounters, right? So four reasons not to join. The first one, it's a Saturday. Are you kidding me? I have better things to do with my time. There's sports on Saturdays. There's, I don't know, the whole bit. You go away for the weekend. You're used to your Sunday morning rhythms and it's just going to throw it off. Everyone I talked to, I think, this week, I kept saying, see you Sunday. It's even ingrained in my head. The second reason is real people. We want to connect with real people as real people. We want to be a community of authenticity. And we want to connect with people with real needs. And oftentimes, people with real needs are needy. This means you're going to have to interact with real human beings. We all have needs. We all have our ups and downs. This is where things get messy. As we start interacting with real people, it's not as easy because we don't share the same values. We might not share the same beliefs. We don't share the same convictions. So then, all of a sudden, we have to start actually realizing, man, this is difficult to try and live alongside someone that we don't share the same things with. The third reason why not to join our church plant is we're going to have to give of ourselves. Our desire as the Well Community Church is to be known for our generosity. This is actually even one of our written values. We want to be known as a generous giving church. 
But what does this mean to give of ourselves? Well, it means time, it means energy, it means resources, and it means finances. And even getting us to this place, it was because of other people who believed in us. They gave to us out of their generosity. The sound equipment was donated from previous churches. Finances were, were given to us. And sometimes it blew me away, just the certain things that would come up at the last minute. We're actually worshiping here in another church's gym. I have office space at another church just a block down the road. I have a key for almost every church in the community. <laughs> but just as people have shown us generosity, we want to show people that we too are generous. And I told you that I wanted to mention my friend Ben. Well, this brings us to Ben. So Ben was one of my youth from White Rock Community Church out in BC. I, I started there in the summer of 2009, and that's when I met Ben. And Ben was a funny kid. He always liked to try and see how far he could push me um, to, to get me going, or at least concerned and praying for his soul. And his older brother, James, was also one of my youth leaders. And one night after youth, I'd only known him for about six months at this point. They went home. I'm getting Okay. They went home, and their parents were having marriage problems. And when they walked in the door, they saw their dad packing up his stuff and walking out on them. He was leaving behind three boys, a daughter, and his wife. And these two guys called me up, saying, my dad's leaving us. And I don't know why, I told them to grab their bathing suits and we went to the community swimming pool. I don't know why it was late at night, but it was open. And we just, I didn't know what to say. As they sat there with the images of their dad walking out on them. So then in 2011, his birthday's on March 14th, and uh, I get a phone call from his mom saying, Ben's turning 16. Will you come to this surprise party for him? And I'm like, absolutely. Just after I hang up the phone with his mom, I get another phone call from a family from our church saying, Kevin, I have playoff tickets for you for the Vancouver Canucks. This was the year that the Canucks took it all the way to the Stanley Cup. It's center line, just a couple rows back from the ice. And they told me the date and time, and it was the same time as this guy's birthday party. I was honestly torn. It wasn't an easy decision. But the relationship with Ben, I knew meant more to me in the long run. I wanted to go to that hockey game as I'd never been to an NHL game before in my life. But I knew that this relationship with him mattered more. I ended up going to his birthday party and ended up teaching him how to drive later, which is a whole nother story I'll save for another time. But I don't regret it. I really don't, and, and I'm not just trying to put myself on a pedestal and trying to say, look at me giving sacrificially. I wanted to go to the hockey game. But this is what it looks like when we actually mean 
we need to put others first. When we actually are saying that it's going to take something, that we're going to have to give, and sometimes it might not be the simplest solution, and sometimes we might not choose the right thing, and you have a great time at the Canucks game. But this is what it means to give of ourselves. Now, it doesn't mean I hold it over his head whenever he's a jerk to me, but that's just part of the price. (laughs) So what I'm meaning by we don't want, we, we want to give of ourselves is we, we don't want to be so overly programmed that it's about us, that it's about trying to get people in our doors, trying to get people to come to us, trying to get these programs built and bigger and better. Those things we want to be able to offer. We want a good nursery and kids program and different workshops, but that's not the point of it. The point is relationships. The point is being in the community. So the fourth reason why not to join our church plant is there are so many other churches. Why do we need another one? Mountainside just launched a year ago. Why can't we just team up with them? I know one person in the community, she actually just said, why don't we just join all the churches and have one big church together? You're right, we're, we're new, we're small, we don't have the bells and whistles other churches can offer. We require all hands on deck. But here's what I hope you'll discover if you do join our church plan. Rest. We want to help people encounter rest. This is actually why we chose Saturday. We, we wanted Saturday as an alternative because all the other churches are meeting on a Sunday morning right now. But we also wanted it to to enter us in to Sabbath, enter us into a day of rest. The couple singing on on worship, Chris and Alex, he works from Tuesday to Saturday and she works from Monday to Friday. Sunday's their only day they get together. And we just thought, we're like, if there's people like that, that it works for, there's got to be more in our community that it works for as well. We also hope that you'll discover community. Again, real people, real needs, living shoulder to shoulder, but doing life together. Which then hopefully brings about joy. As, as we're generous with our stuff, as we give back, you know the feeling of when you help someone out and it brings you joy? We want to experience that and we hope you'll experience it by being part. And the last thing is movement. We're part of a greater movement. We're not an independent cult. We're not preaching our own gospel. We're part of a kingdom movement. We're part of a Jesus movement. We're partnering with God and what he's doing in Binbrook and beyond. And we have actually partnered with the other churches. Here's an actual text message I received from a pastor just yesterday at 1255. Hey man, is there anything that I can do for you today as you prep for tomorrow? It's going to be great. This is from another pastor in our community saying, can I do anything for you? These flowers, I actually believe, are from Mountainside, correct? Yes, Mountainside Church has sent us these these flowers to say, God bless, all the best. The United Church we're in, the Presbyterian Church I was just in today, running into a a bunch of people as I was printing materials. The churches are working together as a movement. 
This isn't just about our church or their church or competition or who's doing what. It's about moving together to forward the kingdom. We have a message of hope to share. Which brings me to the art of leaning. I have a quick video clip from while you were sleeping to help me explain this. Misunderstanding and on top of the Joe Jr. thing. Excuse me? Nothing. No, no, no. There's no nothing now. What Joe Jr. thing? The leaning thing. The leaning thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, do you, what do you mean by the leaning? Because he gave me flowers? And then you leaned. And then I leaned. Yeah. Okay. How did I lean when I leaned? How were you leaning? It's yeah. a lot different than hugging. Hugging's very different. Hugging, that involves arms and hands. And leaning is whole bodies moving in like this. Leaning involves wanting and accepting. Leaning. Hey, Luce. Is this guy bothering you? No, no. Are you sure? Because it looks like he's leaning. Thank you. See? I'll be right over here if you need me. Okay, thank you very much. I know karate. <laughs> the art of leaning. Do people recognize us? for leaning. Hopefully not in the same context as the video clip, but a moving in toward people, a leaning in toward people. Because you see, John 4 challenges us to take a risk, to examine the margins of our world and to cross them. Sometimes our church services are the most segregated times of our entire week. Are we willing to take a risk and cross boundaries in order to lean in toward others, to share the message of hope that we found within the beauty and the mess? I believe the temptation is for us to focus on reaching people that will be mostly receptive to our message, perhaps uh, part of the same race, ethnic origin, socioeconomic status, education, whatever else it might be. But are we willing to take a risk and cross boundaries in order to reclaim the humanity of the other. So this leaves us in an exciting place as we begin this new journey. So as I was trying to think of what actions should I try and suggest to say, here's how to do it, I realized that that's not what's happening. That's, that's not even what's happening here in John 4. I don't want to limit the possibilities. Rather than focusing on what actions are required, I believe we need to fly higher. We need to go up to a higher altitude. And rather than focusing on the actions, we need to look at changing the atmosphere. Even the woman at the well, she wasn't told what to do. Jesus didn't give her a list of, okay, now here's what you need to do. He changed the atmosphere. He reclaimed her humanity. He spoke to her as a person, and from there, she ran back to the village, and her actions flowed naturally out of her encounter with Jesus. It was a natural response because of the hope that was discovered.
And the story ends with the woman sharing the hope and life found in Jesus with others. And they too recognize and believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So my prayer tonight is that we encounter the person of Jesus, that we too respond naturally and lean in to reclaim the humanity of the other. I'm just going to invite the band back up as I close in prayer. But Heavenly Father, God, it's so easy to come to your word with our presuppositions, with what we expect. But Lord, I pray that as we dig into these unexpected counters, encounters, that we encounter you, the living God, the person of Jesus, who's moving in this community and beyond. God, I thank you for everyone here tonight. And I pray that as we leave here, that you help us to continue to change the atmosphere and that our actions will naturally flow out of the hope that we found within the beauty of our lives and also within the mess of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.